0: There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit ElevateErie.tv. But I I do want to talk about the, the way you respond to maybe tragedies the way you respond to maybe hurts in your life, the way you respond to um, maybe, maybe someone's actions didn't line up with, with their words. you know, They said one thing, they did something else. The way you respond to that largely depends on your point of view. Largely depends on how you frame the world around you, what it is that you're looking through. And so I wanna look at, at some scripture today found in, in Philippians. Um, and I'm praying that this really helps to give you and I an accurate point of view. Uh, the book of Philippians, let me give you a little bit of context because context, uh, the right context will help give us the right point of view. Paul planted this church. And this is a letter to this church. Paul planted a lot of churches. Paul was an apostle, which means he had the gift of 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 leading and planting churches, right? He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he would move around planting this church and that church and going there and raising up leaders, equipping people to do ministry. And he planted this particular church in Philippi in the year 52 AD. So this was 20 years after the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the the thing that's different about this letter is Paul loved this church. Like he loved all the churches, But he really loved this church. He had a special place in his heart for this church. Like, if you read uh, some of the other letters that he wrote to churches, like, the churches were messed up. They were dysfunctional. In fact, there is no such thing as a perfect church, all right? This is not a perfect church. If you ever, you know, find the perfect church, don't go there, because you're gonna screw it up, all right? So, there's no such thing, all right? Church gets messy. Church is a bunch of imperfect, flawed people trying to worship a holy, perfect God, and a lot of times, let's just be honest, we we mess it up. We get in the way of that, but Paul really loved this church, and as we read through this letter, you're going to see this deep affection that he has for this church, primarily because at one point, Paul found himself in significant financial need. And this church reached out to him. This church blessed his socks off. They gave him this love offering. Normally, he would not accept it, right? He was too proud to do that. Oftentimes, he'd say, hey, man, I I didn't impose on anyone. I I was never a burden to you. You know, I always worked for myself and, and got things done. But because of the relationship with this church, this church, he took the money. And this letter is a heartfelt, emotional thank you to what the church has done for him. And along the way, you know, he throws a little gentle kind of correcting going on in this letter as well. And as we read this, you're gonna find that throughout this letter, there's this unmistakable theme that rises to the top, and that's the theme of joy. Joy, the word joy or rejoice in some form happens about 19 times just within this letter. And we're gonna see uh, that there's this unbelievable joy that comes from a guy who may not have had so much reason to be joyful, because I'm gonna give you a piece of information, accurate information, that's gonna help give you and I an accurate point of view. How many of you know uh, it's important to have the right information, especially when you talk about people, right? How many of you know that person that, that the first time you met them you thought, they're a jerk, they're stuck up, they're snobby, you know, they're rude or even worse, yeah, you know, they're, they're passive-aggressive. I hate that one, right? They're passive-aggressive, they're rude. How many of you know that person? Don't, don't nudge them, don't point. You're like, I'm sitting next to them right now. <laughs> but what about when you start to learn about how their past has shaped them? You start to learn about the things that they've gone through or maybe even what they're going through now, and you find out that there's something going on in their life that, that's kind of made them that way. Maybe they're more guarded. Maybe they're more, you know, take a defensive posture. Now all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't know that about you. And now they're not the jerk, you're the jerk, right? Because you thought that about them. Or, or maybe maybe say you, you, you have a bad day. You, you're going to work, you're late. Uh, Traffic, you know, is terrible. You get you're going to GE, you're stuck by a train, right? You're already late. You're like, Man, I can't believe this. Maybe you're having a bad hair day. Nothing's going right for you at all. But then you get there and you, you find that other person that's having a really bad day, having a tragedy, something that's really going on in their life. It changes your point of view. And within this story, man, I want to give us an accurate point of view and what's going on because Paul writes this joy-filled letter from prison. He writes this letter that's filled with joy from being chained 24 hours a day. In fact, in Acts chapter 28, we, we find that Paul was imprisoned in Rome for two years. Two years, two complete years, chained up, locked up 24 hours a day to a Roman guard, right? He always had this desire in his heart to to preach the gospel in Rome, yet he finds himself imprisoned in Rome instead. So how can a guy in this environment write such a joy-filled kind of letter? Well, it happens when you and I get a right point of view. And we're gonna watch that uh, even in the middle of great trial, you can experience great joy. So let's read this, Philippians chapter 1. Starting in verse two, this is Paul writing to this church. He says, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. He loves this church, you can almost feel it. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse seven says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. You know how I feel about you. You know how much I love you and care for you. It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, doesn't matter, if I'm in chains, if I'm a prisoner, if I'm defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He says, even if I'm locked up, doesn't matter, it's not gonna ruin my day. Even if I'm locked up, if I'm in chains. If, if I was Paul, I gotta be thinking, man, I would love to be free. I wish I was free to be out preaching the gospel. I, I, I would have to imagine that Paul wishes something was different in his life. Let me ask you the same question. How many of you, be honest, you wish that there was something different in your life right now? Yeah, a lot of us. And I'm not talking about maybe a physical attribute or anything like that, just maybe it's a circumstance, maybe it's a situation. Many of us in this room, we wish that something was different. That maybe we didn't go down a path that we went down. Maybe we didn't make a decision that, that we had made. We wish something was different. I remember growing up, I always wished I was older, all right? Like, because old people could do cool stuff. They could drive, right? They could go out on dates, you know? They could do all this stuff. Man, I always wanted to be older. But now that I'm older, I wanna be younger, right? Now that I'm 27 years old, I wish I was <laughs> It's not supposed to be that funny. You're supposed to be like, maybe, maybe, maybe not. No, I wish I was younger. It's like we're never satisfied, right? We all have something in our life that we wish was was different, that we wish we were maybe in a, a maybe for you, you'd say, man, I wish I was doing a, a different uh, career. I wish I had a different career. You know, this work that I'm doing is not fulfilling. Um, you know, I don't like the people I work with. I wish that was Different, Maybe you would say, man, I wish I lived someplace else. I, I say that about every you know, February, March in Erie, Pennsylvania, I wish I lived someplace else, right? It just it just drags on. But maybe you wish you were someplace else. Maybe you lived in a different community. Maybe you wish you had a different set of friends. Maybe you wish something was different in your life. I, I talk to people all the time who say, man, I wish I was married. Because if I, if I could just get married, that would fix all my problems. Like the married people know that's not right, right? You guys know, that's not true. That's, that's one sinful person marrying another sinful person and you're trying to make that work. That's hard to do, that's hard to do. You know, or, or maybe you'd say, man, I wish I had kids. I'd do anything to have kids. And then there are some parents in this room be like, I wish I'd do anything to have different kids, you know, than the ones that I have. We all wish at times there was something different in our life. Here's a thought I want you to write down that I learned from Craig Rochelle. He says this, we all have a what, but don't understand the why. We all have a what, but don't understand the why. In other words, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's happening in my life. And God, I don't understand it. I don't understand why I'm facing the situation. I don't understand why I'm in this mess. We all have a what, but don't understand the why, and at different seasons, I believe that's for all of us in this room. We can all re- relate to that at one point or another. He says, but I want you to remember God always has a why behind the what. I love that. God always has a why behind the what. God is not a God who will waste the hurt in your life. He is not a God who will waste the circumstances, maybe the pain, and oftentimes it's through the pain that he develops your character. It's through those crisis moments where he can develop your character. It's through through those those building moments where he, he builds the faith that you have in your life. He's not a God who wastes the hurt in your life. He always has a why in the what, and many times we don't understand it, but I don't need to know the why to trust God in the what, that's the last one to write down. I don't need to know the why to trust God in the what, or with the what, I can trust God with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him and he will make my path straight. I don't have to understand it all to trust him with it all. And this is what we find in this scripture passage that that, you know what, even in this situation, You don't have to understand it all to trust him with it all. And if you find yourself today in a place like that, where you're like, I don't like it, I don't understand it, I don't know why I'm in this mess, I don't know why this is happening, to me I'm not sure what to do about this, I wanna give you just two questions to write down that will help give you and I an accurate point of view. Because when we find ourselves in that situation, we're tempted to throw up our fists and say, why God? Why God, but rather than why God, don't ask God why, I want you to ask God what, write that down. Don't ask God why, ask God what. Like God, I don't understand it, I don't like it, but I trust you with the why, what is it you wanna do? What is it you wanna do in my life? What is it you wanna do through this circumstance, through this situation in my life? What do you want to do in me? Watch in verse 12, Paul says this, now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Remember what happened to him? He's in prison. Two years, house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, 24 hours a day. He says, what has happened to me? That's what's happened to me. What's happened to you? Maybe not something that you caused, because most of the time, you know, we are our own worst enemy. We're making bad decisions. But what's that thing that you didn't plan for that happened to you? Maybe you lost a job, maybe you lost a spouse, maybe, you know, somebody ran out on you. You And what's that thing that happened in your, maybe you found yourself in a bad financial position, you hit a dead end, something you didn't plan for. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, yeah, it looks bad on the outside, it looks awful, but it's really served to advance the gospel. I love that. Because that, that word, advance, is a military Term. It's literally saying there's like a this this thing that's happened in my life, it's used to move the mission forward. It's moved to advance the gospel. It's a term used for a group of troops that would would go ahead of like the, the entire army and they would clear the path, they would clear the underbrush, they would remove the obstacles so the army could come through. And he's saying this looks bad on the outside, but you don't get it. Like this is the thing that's gonna pave the way to advance the gospel. That, that was my goal in the first place. God is going to do something amazing through this. What's happened has served to advance the gospel. You and I are gonna find ourselves in that same place going, I don't, I don't see it, this isn't good, I don't understand it, I don't feel his presence in this. Why is this happening? But in those moments, I encourage you to stop, to ask the question, God what? Change your, your point of view because our God specializes in working through those, those bad situations. He specializes in taking the attacks of the enemy and using those for good. He specializes in turning your misfortune or what you, you, you believe to be misfortune in your life and use that to move his mission forward. And that's exactly what Paul's doing in prison. That's what he's telling these guys, hey, you might not see it You might not see how we're gonna get there, but these obstacles are really great opportunities. We serve a God who who takes what we believe are setbacks and turns them into set-ups, and he'll do the same in your life. But the problem is, we don't always see it, do we? We don't always see it, and maybe sometimes we're too busy asking why rather than what, rather than what. How many of you remember, how many of you are old enough to remember those 3D images called magic eye? And you would admit that you're old enough to remember. All right, a few of you, listen. The rest of you, man, I just don't even know what to do anymore, I just don't even know. Um, I remember the first time I saw one of those 3D magic eye images, like it's a computer generated thing that if you, you know, you're supposed to be able to stare into it and an image pops out, okay? So you guys know what I'm talking about even if you've never seen it? Okay, play along in church, all right. And so, I remember somebody saying, hey man, you gotta check this out. So I go and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't see a thing, right? And then all my friends are coming up, they're like, oh, that's so cool. That's so awesome. And I'm like, you guys are all liars because there's nothing here in this image at all because I was focusing on a specific point. I was focusing on this computer thing. I'm trying to, to like, just kind of see something and something hopefully will pop out. And I had a friend say, no, 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 this is what you gotta do. You gotta get really close and you gotta almost cross your eyes, all right? You cross your eyes, go cross-eyed, make your vision all blurry, and don't, don't stare at one particular thing. He says you just kinda look through it all. Look through this thing, and eventually you'll see it. So I just remember doing that, I man. Just kind of crossing my eyes, and I could never do it. But after I like learned it, I could see them all the time. Like I could beat you, like in seeing these things. All right, I'm I'm that competitive. But I stared, you know, at this thing, crossed my eyes, and all of a sudden it was like the most glorious moment on earth. Right, I saw it. It was like this eagle that was like flying out of the page at me, and I'm like, man, this is beautiful. You know, it's awesome. And then I blinked. And it was gone. And I I don't know if I ever got that one back, but now I can do them like a pro. I can do them like a pro. The same applies to the circumstances in your life. A lot of times what we'll do is we're trying to focus on one thing. We're trying to focus on one little point, but if we would just look through it, if we could see that, that our problem maybe isn't as big as we thought it was in the first place, if we could look through it with spiritual eyes and that's what Paul was doing and said that would change our entire point of view we just got to look through the circumstance and God says this thing that's going on in your life that you would never choose for yourself he said I can use that I can use that if you'll just simply trust me with the why and just ask me what what is it, God? What is it you wanna do through this? What is it you wanna do in me? How do you want to reveal yourself faithful through this? I don't understand, but I trust you with the why. Verse 13 says this, and this is where we see the story start to come to life. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Now, I, wanna, I want you to keep something in mind. Paul's in prison. He's in house arrest. He's in chains. And he would get, get chained to a new uh, palace guard every six hours, all right? So they'd be on this rotation. And in the palace, there's, there's thousands of guards. So more than likely, all of these guys n- knew of Paul, had maybe even been chained to Paul, all right? So that's how many people we're talking about. It has been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You know, to which they're thinking, well, no, 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 no. Hold on, you're not in chains for Christ. You're in chains because you're preaching about Christ. This is not a good thing, Paul. This is a bad thing. And here's what Paul's saying, and I don't want you to miss this. He's uh, saying, yeah, I may be chained down, but your point of view is not accurate. I may be chained down in this moment, and that might be all that you see, but what you're forgetting is who I'm chained to to because I've spent my whole life wanting to be in Rome preaching the gospel and now here I am chained every single day to to these guards every single day to the people who have influence to the movers and the shakers chained every single day to these guys don't miss that while you think I'm being chained down look at who I'm chained to I'm chained to the exact people I came to reach. And it's hard because in the middle of your problem, in the middle of your prison, you just can only see what's going on around you. But if you will just gain some altitude over that, if you'll gain a little bit of perspective and zoom out, your eyes will be open. You'll be like, oh, now I get it. Now I see. You guys thought you know, I was chained down, but look who I'm chained to. We need an accurate point of view. Verse 14 says, because of these chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I love that. Not only is Paul having an impact, having an influence in the whole you know, Roman guard, he's saying, but because of that, like this thing's on the move. Because of that, this thing is going. They're having a great impact. So you wake up, and you're not married, and you're single, and you hate it. And you're like, I'm so sick and tired of being stuck in single city. You know, how do I get out of this? And rather than shake your fists and say, why God? Say, what God? What is it that you wanna do in me? How are you gonna reveal yourself through this? How, How can I become the person I'm looking for is looking for? Or you wake up, and you're financially strapped, Your back's up against a wall. Instead of asking why, ask what, God? What are you going to do? How are you gonna show up through this? Because God says he sees every one of you. He knows the hairs on your head. He wants to take care of you. So how, God, are you gonna take care of me in this? Don't ask why. Ask what? Ask what? The second question is this, to give us an accurate point of view, is what does it matter? Don't ask why God, ask what God, and then also ask what does it matter. Verse 15, we see there was, some, there was some division in the church that Paul wanted to address. It says this, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. chains. Verse 18, he says, but what does it matter? Underline that, highlight that, what does it matter? He says, the most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Doesn't matter how it happens, he said, the most important thing is that Christ is preached. What does all this stuff matter anyway? If you and I want to have an accurate point of view, you have to ask the question, what does it matter? Like what does it matter, you know, if, if that person ticked me off? If that person, you know, you know, deceived me, if that person did whatever, I could blog about it, I could get angry about it, I could write about it, you know, I could, I could do all these things, I could throw a pity party about it, but what does it matter? Does it really matter? What is most important, he says, is that Christ is preached. Sometimes when you get in that place in life, when things are just really bothering you, and you're trying to decide how you're going to approach it, how you're going to move forward, I encourage you to ask that question. What does it matter? This is something that I'm, I'm learning to do. I don't, I don't always do this. I don't always have the most godly response to the events that happen in my life. Life. But what I'm learning to do is when things happen when I when there are some bad circumstances or whatever that I face I try to ask myself this question. What's it going to matter 50 years from now? And if it's not gonna matter 50 years from now, it's not gonna matter right now Because most of the time when you start to ask that question the reality is it's not gonna matter a year from now It's not gonna matter A month from now, a week from now, what does it really matter? And when you start to focus on what what really matters, you tend not to worry about the things that don't really matter. So what really matters for you? Um, I want to share something intensely personal with you. What, What really matters for me? What's important to me? Kristen and I, if I can just be completely honest over the last... Uh, three years or so we've we've just we 've been super convicted uh, in an area of our life um, and what our family looks like you know there's 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 god 's definition you know for us um, about you know how how children are a blessing from God and how they 're a gift from God and all that kind of thing but then there 's also culture's you know kind of definition where you know the perfect family is you know the the house, the white picket fence, you know, the two and a half kids and a dog, and that's what you should go for, right? And so Chris and I, we just got real convicted because after we had our last son park, like, I took care of that to where we weren't gonna have any more kids, all right? I'm like, people will say, you know, your your quiver was full. My quiver was full, and so I got my quiver snipped, all right? So that's what happened with that whole thing. I don't need to fill in the blanks for you guys. This is a smart crowd here. And for three years, we kind of struggled with that, if I'm completely honest. And, and please hear my heart on this. This is not for everyone. This is not me saying, oh, you gotta, everybody in this room has to be the Duggars, all right? Everybody has to have like 30 kids and counting. Now, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for Kristen and I, when we would sit down and we would pray and we would really talk about what matters the most to us, it was, it was that family, and we decided, you know, if that's, if, um, if that's what was gonna be important to us, you know, if we weren't gonna follow what, what the, the world says, you know, if we, if we just wanted to be comfortable, all right? If we wanted to make sure all of our kids, you know, when they got to that certain age, could have cars, we could afford a nice house, we could afford all that, that stuff, we could pay for their college free and clear, then we would have made some different choices along the way, but we just decided, you know, God's word is true, he says, don't store up your treasures in heaven, you know, or don't store up your treasures on earth, store them up in heaven, so we just wanted to be eternally focused and minded, and so we just got to that point where I uh, just made a decision. You know what? We're just gonna we're gonna get some things changed up, and and I, I feel like I'm losing you on this, and I'm not explaining it very well. So let me show you this. Maybe this will help. When you said- Does that clear it up for anybody? Yeah. Like, I love the little kids in here, they're clapping. I don't even know what's going on. Hey, so with that in mind, not going into any more detail, I just want to tell you that my wife, Kristen, is now 15 weeks pregnant. Yeah. We are, uh, the Atkins family is getting a little bit bigger. We already have eeny, meeny, and miney, and now we're adding one mo to the group. And we may, oh, that was good, Brad. That was good. We may add two mo or three mo. I don't know how many mo. You know, we're just gonna keep. Here's, here's the thing, and again, that's, that's intensely personal, and that's really for us, but I, I really do consider you guys family, and that's not for everyone. I, I get that, that's not for everyone in this room. So don't, don't mistake me for saying that. But when you truly realize like what really matters the most, it frees you not to worry about the things that don't matter the most in your life. So what matters most for you? Here's some things I believe matter for all of us. Our relationship with God, that matters. Difference with the gift that He has given you, that matters. When you start to ask the questions, you know, God, what, and, and what matters the most, it changes your perspective. I've got to run around getting worried about things that happen, things that don't make a difference in a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. It doesn't matter. And Paul is saying the same thing from prison. He's saying, you know what? Even all this looks bad. But this has served to advance the gospel. And I'm a 41 year old man, that's the truth. I'm telling you guys the truth now. And I don't have time to waste on the things that don't matter. Like this church has a white hot mission to reach people far from God. And we're just gonna continue to go full force into that. And I know that God's gonna open doors and we're gonna see amazing things happen in through And I believe that Paul found himself in that place where he said, what does it matter? And that led him to writing one of the most unbelievable statements that any person in the history of the world has written. This is what it says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. On death row, waiting to hear whether or not he would live or die, essentially. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live as Christ. My life is not my own. It doesn't belong to me. It's never been about me. It's not going to be about me. For me to live as Christ, but even if I die, don't miss this, even if I die, you don't understand that that's even better. That's even better for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. When you have that point of view, All the things that tend to weigh us down don't really seem to matter anymore. Ask God what? Ask God what really matters. Here's the thing I know about God. He will take whatever trial you're facing today and will turn that into tomorrow's testimony. Our God will not waste the hurt that's in your life. You might feel like you are in chains But here's what I want you to know, that there is potential, there is purpose, and God ultimately has a plan for that prison that you might find yourself in, that situation that you feel like is locked down. But if you would just gain a little bit of altitude, maybe you'd realize, hey, all along, man, I'm chained to the exact same people that I came to preach and give my life to in the first place. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateeerie.tv.